Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Keith Ledford is a wonderful man of God, pastoring a church in North Carolina. This sermon was preached on the campus of Union Bible College many years ago for their school revival, and it's titled, Set Your House in Order. I know you're going to enjoy this convicting sermon. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on, and on. Sister Carrie, for that wonderful message and song. I just want to say that my hat is off to, to the staff and faculty, the Bucklers, and this wonderful staff and faculty, and some of them very, very young, and giving their, giving their best, giving their, their best years, their youthful years, to serving God in the college and academy, and and uh, God bless you for that, and supply your needs, give you direction. The Lord knows just what you need. He really does. He knows exactly what you need. Would you take your Bibles and follow along in the book of Isaiah, chapter 38, please? And I'll invite you to stand with me. Typically, when I am out in revival, I am I'm trying to preach, trying to preach uh, some of the big and oftentimes serious subjects. Uh, many times, I'm preaching on on salvation, um, justification, entire sanctification, on the judgment and hell and the rapture and, and the themes like that uh, because I think we need that in revival. It helps us dig. It gives us a fresh reality. And, and, uh, and so I have a theme kind of along that line this evening. Isaiah chapter 38, I'm beginning in verse 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Preacher boys, I'll just tell you, there's, there's going to be a lot of times that uh, that's your only authority. That really is your only authority. And there's going to be a lot of times you're going to stand in the pulpit or some other venue and, and basically what you're saying is, thus saith the Lord, you're speaking for God. The scripture says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. In other words, the mouthpiece of God. 
Uh, you're not too worried about my opinions, are you? What you'd like to hear is, what does God think on the subject? What's God's view on the subject? Because that's the only view that matters. The only thought that matters. Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord. And said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days fifteen years. And I will deliver thee in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. This shall be a sign unto thee from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he hath spoken. Behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees, which is gone down in the sundial of Ahaz, ten degrees backward. So the sun returned ten degrees, by which degrees it was gone down. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the precious word of God, and thank you for each one who's here in the sanctuary this evening to hear thy word. If, if the truth is going to be properly delivered, it's going to have to be anointed. Oh, blessed Holy Ghost, we need you. We remember in Zechariah that you said, It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And I believe that with all my heart. Only God can accomplish what needs to be accomplished this evening. Bless the truth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to try to challenge you this evening with this thought. Set thine house in order. What a heavy message for a preacher to have to deliver. If God spoke to one of you preacher boys, young men, and said, I want you to go see so-and-so, and I want you to tell them, set your house in order, for you're going to die and not live. That's a pretty awesome, heavy responsibility. To walk into someone's presence and say, Thus saith the Lord, you're going to die. You're not going to live. Set your house in order. Hezekiah was deathly sick. God told Isaiah the prophet to go give him the message, Thou shalt die and not live. I notice that, first of all, it was an unexpected summons. See, in the life of Hezekiah, just like in your life, there had always been a tomorrow. But according to the word of the Lord, Hezekiah's tomorrows had run out. He was only about 39 years old. He didn't expect this. He had big plans, ambitions, ambitions dreams, and wishes. God alone can name the final earthly hour for all of us. And over and over again, he's making final attempts in somebody's life to touch them, to get them to think about heaven, to get them to think about Jesus, to prepare them for eternity. Just almost exactly a year ago today, Mark Leach and I were out calling. I'm saying it's an unexpected summons. Something can happen any day at any time 
uh, Mark and I were out calling, and and uh, I, I was stopping rather suddenly behind a truck that was stopping rather suddenly in front of me, and I I looked in my rearview mirror, and I watched a fellow on a motorcycle behind me, and and he had come upon us rather quickly, an older gentleman, and he didn't respond in time. And, and I saw him. He's kind of standing now, and, and he's, the bike is sliding. And it's, it's, he'd been traveling 55, 60. The bike is sliding, and I'm realizing he can't get stopped. And finally, when he does stop, he tumbles over the bars, his face down in the gravels on, on the side of the road. And, and thankfully, he, he made it. We were able to work with him, and Mark... Uh, took care of the traffic and, and neighbors and, and other uh, motorists. We stopped and worked with him. The ambulance was soon there. The police were soon there and, and everything turned out okay. But I'm just telling you, it's an unexpected summons. God stepped into Hezekiah's life and said, Hezekiah, set your house in order for thou shalt die and not live. Albert Barnes said, there is no species of cruelty greater than to suffer a friend to lie on a dying bed under a delusion. Oh, you're going to make it. It's going to be okay when the doctor has said to you, I'm sorry, he can't live, he can't make it, he's not going to be able to survive. What an awful, cruel thing to make someone think they're going to make it when they're not going to make it. Barnes said, I've had many opportunities of witnessing the effect of apprising the sick of their situation and of the moral certainty that they must die. He said, I cannot now recall an instance in which the announcement has had an unhappy effect on the disease. Often, on the contrary, the effect is to calm the mind and to lead the dying to look up to God and peacefully to repose on Him. Nothing is more favorable for a recovery than a peaceful, calm, heavenly submission to God and the repose and quiet which physicians so much desire their patients to possess. Listen, I want to know. I want to know. I want to know my condition now so that I'm properly preparing for my exit from this life to the next. It was an unexpected summons. Secondly, it was an interrupting summons. You see, Hezekiah had big plans for his family and his kingdom. Hezekiah was a righteous king, but now those plans are going to be cut short. Death is that way. Death is so interrupting. Death waits for no man. We may be too busy for a lot of things, but we're not too busy to die. It's time... Could I say it from the youngest to the oldest? It is time for you to set your house in order. You're not guaranteed 30 years. You're not guaranteed 50 years. You're not guaranteed 70 years. You're not guaranteed 90 years. Death may not wait on you to finish high school or college or so many years at the plant. Death may not wait on you to accomplish your major goals in life. When death calls, your hand drops everything, physical and material, your soul departs to its eternal existence. In the last few days, one of the big, biggest businessmen in our area, I live in a small rural area in southwestern Virginia, just across the state line in North Carolina, one of the biggest men in our businessmen in our area had an accident, wasn't just real serious, but he refused treatment that night at home. He died in his bed. 
He had great big plans. He did things on a huge scale. He dealt with Walmart. He had big business. He, he sold to places like that. He was a big-time businessman. But just like that, his hands dropped everything physical and material. And his soul went out to meet the God that made him. God is saying to every single one of us, myself included, set your house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. It was an unexpected summons. It was an interrupting summons. And then thirdly, the summons brought life into perspective. Think about it with me just for a minute. If you were told that you had three minutes to get out of your house with anything you wanted to say, what would it be? Now, if you were told that, if you were told that, unless you just totally lose your mind when you're flustered, you'd go for the very important things, wouldn't you? You wouldn't say, oh, I had a stash of cotton candy up there in the cabinets. I better get that. No, not that. You would go for the most important things. You'd say, I want, I want those pictures. And, and, and there were some stocks. I need to get those. And, and I had a stash of of, of cash there. I, I had this, I had that. There'd be a few things you'd be thinking. You'd be kind of be barking orders. Sweetheart, get this uh, to your children. Uh, pick up those things on the way out. We've got to get out of here. Let's get out of here, but grab those few things and let's go. What if God said, set your house in order, thou shalt die and not live? Unfortunately, many are living life without a biblical perspective. Let me give you just a few important things if God said, tonight is the night. Let me give you just a few important things that you'd want to take care of. One, you'd want to provide for your soul. First and foremost, you would want to make sure that everything is all right with you and God. You would want to make sure that every sin is under the blood of Jesus Christ. You would want to make sure that it's well with your soul. Secondly, you would want to make some final requests to your loved ones. Something like this. Son, or mom, or dad, or brother, I want you to meet me in heaven. I want us to be together in the city. I want us to spend eternity together. Perhaps you'd want to provide for the people and institutions that you love. If, if tonight was the night and, and you had taken care of everything spiritually and, and you'd made some final family arrangements, you'd probably want to say some things like this. Here's my final, here's my final will and testament. I leave this to, to this son, to this daughter, to Union Bible College, to, to this to ICHA missions. I leave this. These are my final wishes. My fourth question is, how can we set our houses in order? I want you to listen to me closely because I think I have some important things to say. You need to get right in your vertical relationship. How can we set our houses in order? You need to get right in your vertical relationship. That means if you haven't already, you need to repent of your sins and ask Jesus to save you. There's nothing like a summons like this. There's nothing like the captain of the Titanic saying, we're going down. No, Captain. No, Captain Smith. That's, it can't be that. We're certainly not going down. This is the unsinkable ship. No, we're going down, and it won't be long. You see, suddenly, it's not important what's going on on the dance floor. 
Suddenly, it's not important now what stocks and bonds are in the vault in, in, the, in the cabin. Suddenly, what is really important is, is uh, found in the words of that song, Nearer, my God, to thee. Nearer to thee, even though it be a cross that raiseth me. Suddenly, life has come into perspective and we're trying to get right in our vertical relationship. Begin walking in the light and live every day as if, as if it would be the last one you would live here on earth. You know, I believe this so strongly and I've seen it. I remember one board member that could be so rough on people. You know, it's pretty easy. Let me, just, let me just talk heart to heart with you, young and old alike. It's pretty easy to get braggadocious and say a lot of callous, cruel things, sometimes sitting in a board meeting, sometimes in other situations. But I remember this dear brother Part of it was personality, I know, because just, just he kind of had that abrasive, abrasive personality. But I can tell you when the doctor said, I'm sorry, you've got cancer. You don't have long to live. One of the fellows that he had criticized and dealt with so roughly, I'll tell you when that guy's name come up again, he had changed the tenor of his talk. There's something about the prophet saying, set your house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. It makes you want to talk differently. It makes you want to walk differently. We ought to be that way anyhow, but I'm telling you, it'll take the starch out of you. It'll take, if you humble yourself at least, begin to clean your house. I'm talking about getting right in your vertical relationship. Begin to clean your house of the things that you would not want Jesus to find when you die, of the things, have you ever cleaned out someone's house after they die? I've been a little embarrassed doing that. I've been a little embarrassed of things I've found. That left, that left question marks I didn't want to have. I didn't want those question marks in that person's, about their testimony, about their life. I didn't want those question marks I wish I hadn't found those things. I wish, I wish somehow someone had got those out of the house before I ever came around. Begin to clean your house of the things that you wouldn't want Jesus to find. Let me take it a step further and say begin to clean your house of the things that you don't want your children, your parents, or someone else to find while the ground is still fresh on your grave. I know that's a little morbid, but it's very practical. Get your, get your life in a place that, not just so they don't find those things, but get your life in a place that they've got confidence that you made it. Some of you, some of you need to pitch some CDs and DVDs that aren't pleasing to the Lord. Now just think about it. You know what, if it wasn't for Jesus, wasn't for the Bible, wasn't for the Lord and our responsibility to Him, I wouldn't say that at all because I wouldn't care one thing. 
it, would, it really wouldn't matter. If you and I are just animals, if it's just live and let live, and, and when we die, it's all over, I wouldn't say that at all. I wouldn't care one thing about it. But what I am interested in is the fact that when you get there to the judgment, I want you to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Not depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't want you to hear that. I don't want to hear that. That scares me. Some need to tear down some posters of ungodly sports and music stars that are disgracing your home by their vile presence. It's time to get the rubbish out of your house. Right now you excuse it, but when the summons comes, I'm telling you when the summons comes, everything gets put in perspective and you start, you start questioning the things that you weren't questioning before. I want to get that out of here. That, that's going too. If you have that opportunity. Get right in your vertical relationship. Then I want to say to you. Get right in your horizontal or earthly relationships. I remember. Getting a call during the night. To go to the hospital to minister to a family. I sound asleep. The phone rang. And I hurriedly dressed. Drove my car to the to the hospital. I was serving as volunteer chaplain chaplain that week. The husband and dad, the patient, had just had a massive heart attack and died. The gentleman looked to be in his forties. I was standing there beside the the body in still back in the emergency room and. He looked like he would be in his 40s. His death was so unexpected. The family was just in total shock. He and his wife were split up. She was there with her lesbian friend. and One of the boys in his 20s who finally made it to the hospital so shocked. It was awful. He was so shocked at the suddenness. His dad's gone. He can't even grasp it. Here it is up in the night. He can't even grasp the reality. His dad has actually died. You know what, what I felt? Of course, I wept and prayed with them and did my best to try to comfort them. But as I walked away at about 3 a.m. from the emergency room, I thought to myself, I want to be a bridge builder, not a wall builder. And I was specifically thinking of my family. I thought, I want to be a bridge builder, not a wall builder. I wanted to take my cell phone out and call my children and talk to them because I'd just been with the family that had lost a, a husband, dad that was just about my age at that time. I want to challenge you, every single one of you, to forgive your family and others for offenses against you. Do you know that unforgiveness burns bridges to relationships and it burns the bridge to heaven? That's right. That's biblical. But you say, preacher, you don't know what my dad did to me. You don't know how my dad failed our family. I know that's awful. I can't tell you how my heart has broken for people that I know that their dad stepped out of their lives right when, right when they needed him to supply the the finances, to be a role model and a mentor, to be an example. Right when they needed him, he stepped out of their lives, went chasing some fantasy. 
went hiding from responsibility. But I want to tell you what God's message is to you. Forgive him. Forgive her. But for the grace of God, you could be in that situation someday. But for the grace of God, you could be caught up in that someday. Forgive them. But they're not right. I didn't say they're right. I said forgive them. Unforgiveness burns bridges to relationships and heaven. I don't have a problem with my dad or my mom, but I'm, I want to tell you what the professor did. <laughs> I want to tell you how unfair Brother Buckler is. I want to tell you how unfair my teacher is. I want to, I want to tell you how unfair we were to Jesus when he was here on earth. I want to tell you that when he hung on the cross, he didn't hang there for any sin that he'd committed because he was the sinless, spotless, perfect Lamb of God. He hung there for my sin and your sins. I want to say to you young people, adults, children, forgive those who have offended you. Now it's real easy for me to say that to you. But I want to tell you what I've had to do in some situations that have gotten to my heart. See, I can't feel what you're feeling, but I can feel what I have felt. And some of the people that, that just kind of took the knife and, and, and drove it in and then twisted it, you've got to forgive on purpose. You're going to have to pray about that. You're going to have to say, oh God, please don't hold one thing against them for my sake and, and help me to forgive them completely. I mean, you're going to have to pray until you can totally let go of that. Will you ever forget it? Probably not. It'll probably be a painful memory as long as you live. What they did, what they failed to do, whatever they said. But I'm saying, forgive it. Do it in Jesus' name. Do it because Jesus forgave you. Do it because that person's a hopeless, helpless sinner on their way to a devil's hell. There'll be someday, someday if they don't get to Jesus that they'll be lost forever and ever. But I don't want them to be lost for what they did against me. I don't want them to be lost, period. Forgive your family. Forgive others for offenses against you. Clear the atmosphere. Get it out of the way. Oh, I know people that wrestle. It, it just their their whole life is is wrapped up in the bitterness and and anger over the past, over things that have happened to them. Their whole life is wrapped up in that, and they never rise above it. But Jesus has grace to help you rise above it. I know some of you are wrestling with great big things that have happened to you. I know that, and and I'd like to say, if you understand what I'm saying, I'd like to say I'm sorry. But in another sense, really, that's not going to fix it. Somehow you're going to have to take it to the foot of a blood-drenched cross and say, Jesus, help me with this. They've hurt me worse than I can imagine anyone could be hurt. But if you'll help me with this, I don't want to hold it against them. I want to freely, fully, totally forgive them. But Brother Ledford, how about if they did this? 
I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm just saying that you're going to have to, by the grace of God, do that. See, I know I'm talking to some people that have been, that have been offended, have been, have been uh, violated in such awful ways that you can't even imagine. But the grace of God is big enough, strong enough, He'll help you to forgive. I'm talking about getting right in your horizontal relationships. You see, you've got to be right in your horizontal relationships to be right in your vertical relationship. Not only forgive them, but then build a bridge to your companion, your parent, or parents, your child, your children, your siblings. Bridge building can be difficult and expensive. Many times around the church there are few showers of blessing because there are walls and barriers between people. There's been so much wall building going on between people. It's not always possible to live at peace with everyone, but do your part. The scripture says, in as much as possible, follow peace. Live at peace with all men. Let me ask you a question. I, I, I guess I'm kind of going up above now the college students, but I want to ask you the question. In your home, is there real love and respect between husband and wife? That's a very pertinent, a very personal question. But it's important. Guys, one of your biggest needs is that your wife respect you. You'll struggle with that if she doesn't. Ladies, one of your biggest needs is that you feel the love that your husband has for you. Somehow the way that God has wired us, that's, that's exactly... Both of us need both of those items, but the husband especially needs the respect and the wife especially needs the love. But you say, Brother Ledford, I love her. She won't show me any respect. And I'm not going to show her that love. Well, who in the world's going to start this in the first place? Well, I think the wife should. I think the husband should. I think that both should. And if one won't, let the other one start it. I just quit preaching and went to meddling. <laughs> but that's good truth. Children, I'm talking about getting right now in your horizontal relationships. Let, let's talk now to those who have responsibility, whose parents are living, and especially those who are living under the authority of their parents. Obey your parents in the Lord. Wow. See, if it's time to stand before the Lord, you want to be found honoring your parents with obedience respecting them. Do you know I'm, I'm 54 years old. I love and respect my parents. I'm thankful they're still living. But I love and respect my parents probably more than I ever had. They're more tender and precious to me probably more than they ever have been. I've always, especially as a Christian young man, I've always loved and respected them and, and tried to honor them. But I want to challenge you. You may be 18. I want to challenge you to honor your parents. I don't think you ought to marry that young lady. I don't think you ought to marry that, that boy. Listen to them. Be careful about running roughshod over your parents. 
I'm not telling you what decision to make. I am telling you be careful not to run roughshod over your parents. Listen to them. Godly parents are few and far between. Listen closely. Honor them. Getting right in our vertical and horizontal relationship. And then get real in our religion. Get real. The world is sick of the phony. The world is sick of sham and hypocrisy. Let's just be real. Bits and pieces told the story of Teddy Roosevelt's, one of his political campaigns, delegation called at his home in Oyster Bay, Long Island. And the president met them with his coat off and his sleeves rolled up. Ah, gentlemen, he said, come down to the barn. We'll talk while I get some work done. Down at the barn, Roosevelt picked up a pitchfork and looked around for the hay. Then he called out, John, where's all the hay? Sorry, sir, John called down from the hayloft. I ain't had time to toss it back down again after you pitched it up while the Iowa folks were here. <laughs> Big phony. Oh, oh, but you know what? That happens around the church even. Oh, God, keep us real. If I testify to something, may my life back it up. If I preach something. You know, it's real easy to preach. Preachers, I'm, I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. It's real easy to preach things so hot, so high, so hard. But I'm telling you, somewhere along the line, you got to go home. Look in the mirror, and you got to live with your family, and you got to live in your neighborhood, as do I. Can we back it up? Can we back it up? The world's sick of fake politicians and phony Christians. Be real, be honest with your inner self at all times. Live so you can look in the mirror and not condemn yourself. Try it tonight. Go home, not to admire yourself, not to ooh and awe how pretty, how handsome, how beautiful. Don't do that. What I'm saying is go home and look in the mirror. Look in your eyes. Are you honest with yourself? Don't sell things you don't believe in. Don't stand for things you're not convinced of. Leave off the things that will cause regret. Here's some things that you'll regret. You'll regret a bad attitude. When you have a bad attitude, you'll usually say or do something that you end up regretting. There's no place for bad attitudes in the church. There's no place for bad attitudes in the boardroom. I understand, I understand you've got to have, you've kind of got to have a somewhat of a clash of opinions in order to come to the right conclusion, but there's no place for bad attitudes in doing so. There's no place for bad attitudes in the home. Oh, never let it be said of your home, when mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Don't let it be said in your home that that's the case. Brother Ledford, you are meddling. No, I, I'm just trying to help us. 
I want us to set our house in order. There's no place for criticism in the home. You may need to constructively criticize your companion or your child to help them improve something they're doing or, or not doing, but to have a critical attitude in doing so. You understand the difference? You can criticize without destroying. You can say, you could have preached it that way, you could have sung it this way, you could have done this, and you can say it in such a way that helps build that person, improves that person, but you could become caustic and tear them down. To have a critical attitude is not acceptable to Jesus. If you're critical of family members, neighbors, people at church, listen to me, you're just well to take your children out, feed them rat poison covered with strychnine. You'll regret having a bad attitude. I'm talking about things you'll regret. You'll regret having a bad attitude. Bad influence. You'll regret that. Your influence matters. Young people, your influence matters. Young people, your influence matters. When you live, you're influencing others in some way. But you say, preacher, I don't think I'm very important. I don't think I'm really impacting anyone. Oh, yes, you are. If you teach others to sin, watch out. If you teach others to have a bad, bad attitude, watch out. You'll regret having an influence for evil. You'll regret not using your influence for God. Things you'll regret. Bad choices. Life is all about choices. It's all about choices. We make them every day. Some are small, some are large. When you choose sin and evil, even in small things, you'll live to regret it. You will live to regret it. I've watched people do a lot of wrong things with a high hand, and it looked like they're getting by. But I'm telling you, you will live to regret it. Many of you have heard this story. Our Daily Bread carried it, uh, among others. In 1904, William Borden, heir to the Borden Dairy Estate, graduated from a Chicago high school as a millionaire. His parents gave him a trip around the world, traveling through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe gave Borden a burden for the world's hurting people. Writing home, William said, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. When he made this decision, he wrote in the back of his Bible two words, no reserves, no reserves. Turning down high-paying job offers after graduation from Yale, he entered two more words in his Bible, no retreats. Completing studies at Princeton Seminary, Borden sailed for China to work with Muslims, stopping first at Egypt for some preparation. While he was in Egypt, he was stricken with cerebral meningitis and died within a month. A waste, you say? Not in God's plan. In his Bible, underneath the words, no reserves and no retreats, he had written the words, no regrets, no regrets. Wouldn't it be good to die like that? To be able to say, no reserve, no retreat. And I think more importantly, no regrets. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on.
Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. As it has been passed, I don't want to lose the fight. I don't want to lose the fight.